Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the island. My name is Daniel Frankman, your host of the island. And in this new episode, we're going to welcome Carl Thomas, friend, colleague, fellow uh, athlete, um, to see what he has to say about, uh, well, to see what he says about uh, our theme here. Uh, welcome, Carl. Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, first of all, I want to say what's up to you. Thank you for having me. And uh, the island is the name. I like it. Yeah, the That's island. Lille. Okay. Um, and I presume there's a whole elaboration of the title. But uh, yeah, my name is Carl Thomas. Um, I'm an outreach worker in the community or a community counselor. Call it whatever you want. For the past 11 years, if I'm not mistaken... And at the same time, for the past uh, almost four years, I've been working in uh, the DYP and youth protection um, as an educator. And soon I'll be transferring to, to a hospital setting where, where I'll be able to perform the, the job of a social worker. So it's, uh, it's been a journey. Yeah, that's quite a journey. I didn't even know of uh, some of those uh, some of those things yeah, that you said. Yeah. So that's I uh, wanted to keep to keep some secrets. <laughs> you, that's we have secrets for you, and you have secrets for us. That's the whole point of the, exactly, right? <laughs> of the podcast, I guess. Nice. Um, can you tell us a bit about your your background? Uh, you know, kind of where you're from, where you grew up. Uh, give us a, give a the crowd a feel for who you are. Okay, so um, I I I grew up. Well, grew up. I was born in Haiti. Um, I did six years in Haiti. Uh, afterwards, I moved to, to the States in Brooklyn. And then I did a lot, a lot of back and forth until until basically my mom managed to settle down in Montreal. In the, in this neighborhood, the Codenege neighborhood that we, in my younger days, used to call Uptown. And now I just call it Codenege because I'm a grown man. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's my parkour. And um, basically, it's funny because coming coming here, um, my story, I'm sure it's like the, the, there's a lot of similar stories. Um, it was basically my mom having me at a young age, wasn't able to take care of me. So she left me uh, with her sisters and her mom. And they raised me till I was six. And then when she got basically established here, in Montreal, she called for me. Um, so let's put it like this. Like when I got here, I had no idea that the woman that called for me was my mom. Mm. So it was, a, it was a weird, weird relationship as a child, as a teen. And even right now as an adult, it's still like a, there's like, it, it's, it's still weird. I think what uh, you asked about sort of why it's called the island. And I think it's a, mm -hmm. it's a storytelling uh, idea of everyone on the island of Montreal, um, intergenerational, intercultural, interreligious people from around the world having these kind of storytelling uh, examples of life that you kind of just briefly described to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of our listeners can can relate to exactly what you just described yeah, uh, exactly. to, a, to a lesser extent, to a greater extent, uh, which is really interesting. Um, and I think it, it kind of brings us to the first part of of what I wanted to talk about was um, being in Haiti, being in Montreal, being in New York, uh, in Brooklyn. So Brooklyn and Montreal being large Haitian mm -hmm. communities. Mm 
um, and coming at six years old, you explained a bit about the experience of this migration of coming from Haiti, yeah. but having to go back and forth. Uh, you know, what was that like having to go back and forth uh, between parents? Uh, how different or how similar was it each place, I guess? To be honest, <clears throat> a lot of it I don't recall. So I don't remember. But I remember the plane ride. I remember that I was with someone, a, a stranger, probably someone that worked for the airline. I remember the smell of coming here. Uh, it was snowing. So I remember being very surprised. I remember also meeting uh, my younger siblings, my little brother and my little sister, because my mom started a, a new life when she moved to Montreal. Um, I remember feeling confused because my memories from Haiti was like, uh, you know, playing in the rain, jumping from roof to roof um, and uh, cockfights. <laughs> a lot of uh, cockfights and gambling and well, the, 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 the older people, my older cousins and mm -hmm. whatnot. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and that's what I remember. And then coming here, seeing the snow like that, that was something. And, and the smell of the snow. Um, for some reason, it, it always hits me. Like the first snow of every year, I, I, I always got the, the, the same smell. And, um, but overall, to be honest, I, I felt a bit confused. Um, stuff that I don't recall. My mom told me like it took, uh, even today, I don't call her mom. I call her love. Her name is Lorvana. So, so I just gave her a nickname since I was a kid. I just call her love to make it easier for me. And what was crazy is that she told me that, you know, throughout my childhood, let's say seven, eight years old, um, I used to make her cry because I would refuse to call her mom. But for me, it wasn't, again, I don't remember that, but I, I kept that because it was a word for me that was like, kind of like protective and, and, and it's, it's the word love. Like that's her nickname. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was the only way that, that for myself, I was able to sort of like build a relationship with this woman because I didn't know her to be honest. Right. And she didn't know me. Although I was six, like, uh, I still had memories. And then when, when let's say 10, 11, 12 hit, like the same sentiment stayed of like being a total stranger, Uh, in a house that, you know, that uh, I looked different. I was, uh, you know, darker skinned than, than all my siblings, darker skinned than my mom. And I felt like an outsider. So it was, you know, it, it was it was different. But, but, there's always a but. What got me connected to this neighborhood are the people and the, and the friends that I met. I remember meeting my first friend um, in elementary school, Um, Guillermo Quintanilla and until today he's still my best friend so that's like the story of uh, mm. of ages and now this guy has like a kid of, of his own and uh, you know and I cherish those memories and you, you said you moved back and forth in, from yeah. Montreal and Brooklyn yeah was it uh, like on a monthly basis like years you, you spent years I think, in Brooklyn I think it was on a monthly basis because my mom was having a bit of trouble with me Uh, again, those are things that I don't remember, but I think I kept going back because um, my my aunts were, were in the States for a little while. Uh, they couldn't come to Canada for some reason, so they went to the States, and I went to visit them every time. And my mom needed help with me because uh, it's not that I was difficult, but it just because, like, like uh, she told me, like, you know, I was... 
very um i didn't talk much i was very uh i don't want to use the the word hurtful due to lack of words i guess but uh i was very uh she said i i i just didn't connect so she brought me back to the states every time i felt good and then she was like okay he's ready so then she brought me back and then it was the same thing again and then eventually like she was like you know what forget it you're staying here you're staying with me so uh yeah that was it It's interesting that you said you didn't you didn't talk a lot when you were when you were younger. Um, And now it's different. Uh, That's I, what you're saying. <laughs> I, no, I I want to draw a parallel in that I didn't talk a lot when I was a kid. Yet okay. we both find ourselves doing podcasts. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And uh, I think we both talk sufficiently, but mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. maybe when it's important, we speak. Yeah. Exactly, just enough, just enough. And I'm a big uh, fan of listening. You know, active listening is 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 the key. I think that's why we we love doing podcasts. And the last thing about, about I think about the the movement is when did you stop going back to Brooklyn on a regular basis? Like you said, you said your mom said, well, "Okay, you're going to stay here in Montreal now." I think I stopped going back. I think when really I got involved in school, let's say elementary school, when it really got serious, you know, like I I went to Felix Leclerc, I would I would leave for the whole summer sometimes, and then I think it's really when I started making friends when she started seeing that. You know, I, I actually maybe didn't find a home maybe in the household, but I found a home within the community. And uh, and I had friends. I had a surrounding. I had cousins that I, that I really got close to. And then I stopped going, going back. And then we only went back for like, you know, family gatherings and whatnot. And, and at 19 years old, I went back on my own for the first time mm. um, to meet my dad because I... I uh, I know I didn't mention that, but when I was going back and forth, I actually only met my dad when I was 19 years old. Again, that that was uh, that was something. Because uh, yeah, that was something. So you you had been going back to see your aunts, like the other family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. But never okay, never bumped into my dad. And if I did, I I have no memories of it. Um, I think that kind of brings us to the idea of so New York and Montreal are both islands. Mm -hmm. Um, New York, as we know, is kind of a special place to, to visit. Definitely. Um, Brooklyn is a special place to visit Yeah. Um, for all of those who, who have ever been there. Uh, Montreal is a very unique place, which is why we've kind of created this kind of podcast island. Mm -hmm. You know, it mm -hmm. is very unique in terms of international. Again, I love the name. Internationalness, <laughs> uh, French, English, and yeah. everything. Le Franglais. Yeah, the, the Franglais, exactly. Mm -hmm. But as a, as a boy, as a teenager, and as you got older, what do you think... Uh, What kind of differences do you see between the two places? But notably, the differences between, uh, you know, male representation in Brooklyn that you may or may not have been aware of, or the ones you see in Montreal. I don't know if there is something that you can put your, your, your finger on, maybe. If I recall, when I went back at 19, I had, I had some, I made a couple of friends here that, that were from the States. And when I went back, uh, one of them decided to tag along with me. So I was alone, yes, but like he was going to, to Harlem, I was going to Brooklyn. And it's funny because he kept telling me how different it was in the way um, that we dress, in the way that we define ourselves, in the way that, uh, that you know, the, the friendship aspect. And I remember getting there and, and uh, seeing my older siblings too. The one thing that differs between, between the males there and males here I felt it was the way that that we sort of like define friendship. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I might be off, but that was for, for I'm, I'm speaking I statements. That's for me, right? I found, yes, the, the let's say, let's say New York had a little bit more, uh, more swag, more drip, you know, mm-hmm. um, they talk different, they walk different, everything. It's all about style and how you look, your appearance is so important, no matter what background you're from, right? But I felt that here we, although it was important, but it wasn't as much. Like, I remember getting to the States and my sister, like my older sister, she was looking at my shoes and be like, <laughs> what are you wearing? I'm like, what do you mean? They're just Nikes. And they're like, yeah, they're old as, you know. So it was, it, it was, it was very, very important, the appearance of people. Although, like I said, in Montreal, Codonege, it, it's important, but I felt it when I was there. I felt it when I was shopping. I felt it when I was walking around. I felt it when I was on the ball court just shooting hoops. Like, appearance and, and your demeanor was, was important. Uh, what you project, the toughness, the, ru- the, the ruggedness. Just like, I, I, as a male, I, I felt like there was no space. And again, I, I, I'm speaking for myself, right? But there was no space for being, being soft, Cause, cause even meeting my dad for the first time at 19, right? Mm. You would think there would be tears, there would be emotion. No, nah, none of that. He saw me. He said my name, and I said, "Yeah." He said, "You look like me." I said, "Yeah, I do." And then uh, he said, "All right, hop on, let's go." And that was it. That was it. And then we spoke a little bit, and throughout the, the I stayed almost uh, three or four weeks there. And uh, throughout that time, this guy was uh, barely talked. He would wake up in the morning, just go play dominoes with his friends. And I would chill with uh, my older sister and brother and uh, sometimes go see him like down on the block playing dominoes. Mm. And then he would be like, uh, are you missing anything? Do you need anything? And I'm just like, I don't know. I just want to hang out with you. And he was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! So, so again, you know, um, I just felt like I had so many things I wanted to tell him, but I never got the chance. So again, no place for like, for emotions, I guess at the time. Uh, yeah. Now that I'm I'm 32 now, I reflect back, and it's, and it's you know, it's uh, it's it's an experience, I guess. Yeah, and I imagine. I mean, bringing up uh, sort of the experiences you've shared already today, and I think. The main thing about all our guests is that we want to hear, you know, their story, mm-hmm. their own map. Mm-hmm. You know, your perception of everything and the way you explain it is what it is. It's mm-hmm. real because it's real to you, and that's why it's so important to hear, you know, on the on the island. It's the the, the lived experience is what we want to we want to hear, what we want to portray for our, for our listeners. That's the that's the cool part. Nice. And like you're talking about the demeanor in, you know, cockfighting and roof jumping in Haiti <laughs> to a more docile environment of Montreal where everyone kind of gets along and you can do anything you want yeah. to the demeanor of making sure that you're tough For in sure. Brooklyn, yeah. which is a whole different, you know, jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a very good, uh, it's a very good uh, differentiation of how, of how different places are. Like that's the reality. And um, which brings up the perfect thing about the next question I'm going to ask you. Is uh, has to do specifically with uh, does a child need to grow up with a father? I know your line of work and I know your line of your life and everything, but I mean, does a kid, does a child need to grow up with a father? What do you think the best conditions to grow up in are, 
And I think a lot of people listening and uh, yourself and myself have grown up differently. So our perspective on what a, what a child need may be different or may be the same. But so what is, do we need to have a father? What are the best conditions? Uh, you know, what, what do you, what do you think about that? So if I derail, please like bring me back. All right. Please, um, please derail. <laughs> please derail. That's the, it's just, it's just, I feel the answer for me, it's, it's, you need both parents in the perfect world, right? Can, can a mom raise, you know, a kid without a dad? For sure. Can a dad raise a kid without a, a mom? Yeah. But it, it becomes different. Um, I, I, I didn't have a dad. I had a step pops that I had no connection with, never spoke to him. And when I mean never spoke to him, I really mean it. Like I never had a conversation with the man, I think until I was maybe like 28 or 29. Hmm. But he used to talk to my friends though. Which, which I appreciated that, but I never could sit down with him. He was very old school. He brings the money in. He watches TV. Uh, he goes to bed type of vibe. Um, he never asked me about sports. He never, you know, asked me about anything. So let's say if that's the type of dad that you're going to be, to be honest, I, I could do without like, and I phrase it in the sense of, because for me, he was barely there anyways, right? So if, if it was just me and my mom, I would have probably been closer to my mom because I felt that my mom oftentimes was like defending his behavior, saying that, oh, you know, that's that's how men are. That's that's how it is, you know. But at the same time, in my head, I was like, I was a kid just trying to look for answers. Like, even when it came to girls, like, I had to talk to, like, other fathers, of my friends, mm. you know, and ask questions or, and, and ask questions about all different things in life to like my older cousins or to my, to my uncle, thank God for him, but never to my stepdad. And like I said, I only met my dad at 19. And even when I met him afterwards, we didn't really hold a relationship because I didn't see the point. If, if I spent four weeks there and the person barely talked to me, what was the point of keeping a relationship? Right. So to answer again, the question is yes, yes. You need a father, um, but you need someone that's also present, someone that's able to to give you answers. Because from from the male's perspective, like uh, a lot of things I, I couldn't talk to my mom about. And I wish I had a dad that I could sit down and, and talk about from sports to girls. And I'm not saying that my mom wouldn't be giving me proper advice, you know, for girls or you know, she came to a couple of my basketball games, even though she didn't understand anything. But hmm. all I'm saying is that as a man, you you kind of you kind of do need someone to look up to. And I didn't have that. I've, I found it in other ways. So I don't know if that answers the question. Does it? Yeah, absolutely. Good. I think Good. you Thank you, God. you you put you, <laughs> you really you you put it clear. You know, again, you know how you've lived it and your lived experiences mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. is the important part. And people listening can relate to relate to or you know be uh make them think about you know their specifically that question you know like do you need a father figure can like you said mothers can raise children alone as they've of done course, forever of course of course and men can do the same mm -hmm. ideally you have both and if you don't have the father figure you look for it elsewhere like exactly. you did you know and i think exactly. that's the important part and i think it kind of it makes a link into sort of what we can talk about on the on the island which is concepts of masculinity and like mm. the concept of masculinity you brought it up in sort of 
there's not many cockfights in Montreal or on the streets of Brooklyn mm-hmm. necessarily. <laughs> um, but you know what represents a man and in in Haiti then and now. Uh, what represents a Haitian man in, in Brooklyn and Montreal and Haiti n- now is very different as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're trying to construct this or deconstruct this uh, idea of what it is to be, what is masculinity and look at it in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And I think you talked a bit about, you know, uh, when you went to visit your father, you know, you, you went to play dominoes and you wanted to spend time with him. And he's of like, course. well, I, I'm not into that. I mean, yeah, like, he's like, what do you what, want? What do you need? <laughs> what and, do you and, need? and the opposite, another a stepfather who's, present in the house where yeah. you are but you have no interest in you know seeking exactly. seeking anything exactly so based on that my question would be how do men communicate then you know you you asked to communicate with your dad and he you know was playing dominoes whatever you didn't want to communicate with the your stepdad but he was willing to communicate with your friends and mm-hmm. with your mom and all that stuff yeah which i was always surprised which uh, like uh, about that like, cause, cause he has good relationships with them, but just not with me, I guess. But um, to answer the question of of communication patterns, I think it's it's all it's it's doing activities and sports, man. Like that's how I feel that at a young age, sports gives you that benefit of of having a space where you could be emotional. And I and I know people heard that a thousand times. But I, I'm gonna say I, I'm gonna say it again. Like uh, it does give you the space to be emotional, to 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 you know be sad when you lose, be happy and and cry when you win, and and there's no judgment within that sphere, within that space, and that's what I think sports gives to people, um, and especially team sports. And I was fortunate enough to to participate in that and to have highs, to have lows. Uh, you know, and 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 to be emotional, so I had that space and and um, that environment to be emotional and to express myself in multitude uh, of ways. So I was grateful for that. Um, if I didn't have sports, I, I don't know. I would have found it probably in a negative way. But but I think a lot of uh, and it's changing. It is changing due to due uh, to education and and. Uh, people being more vulnerable and being closer to their to their emotions but i think sports is a valid valid way um to express yourself especially for men and i think the your, your, the different ways that we can express ourselves men can express ourselves mm-hmm. is really important sports is one of them mm-hmm. i think one of the things that in terms of the positive aspects of masculinity that we want to talk about is it's seen as negative for a man to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, you brought it up like, you know, a mm-hmm. place where you can show your emotions and the be vulnerable. The aspect of being tough, right? You gotta yeah. be tough. You Don't gotta be cry, tough. be tough. And it's not only us who believe that, you know, it's kind of, and we're talking about North American society, right? This mm-hmm. conversation we're having, you know, in Montreal, I think whether it be New York or Montreal, we're in a Western society. So these discussions are have are a lot more open and we're having this dialogue, which is why we, we started putting it together this way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's interesting because we want men to be vulnerable. We want them, we want to hear about it because the pressure on being invulnerable and being like tough all the time is a weight that yeah, you carry, sure. which it's is impossible. very hard. It's impossible to be tough all the time. Even the toughest, toughest of men will tell you it's impossible. Yeah. 
um, and I think you you express sort of how sport played a massive role in, yeah, in your definitely. your yeah. expression of, of emotion and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, let's say in terms of sport and otherwise, um, where would you find uh, where or what would be your, your your safe space when you're upset, you're sad, you're frustrated? Like when you want to express your feelings, like who are you comfortable with? What is your safe space? Is it like? With your boys, is it with a woman? Is it with a you know? It could be a therapist. Like for you, like when you're upset, sad, frustrated, like where got, would you go? Where I, I I got multiple spaces, but but the one that I often use is the grabbing a beer with uh, with my boys and and if it's really really personal, just grabbing a beer with my best friend. And I see myself saying grabbing a beer every time because because <laughs> I feel like it's. When it's about to get emotional, like we always need like the the reasoning. Like I I don't, you know, we could be drinking tea and and talk about you know what's going on in life, but for some reason grabbing a beer just feels different. It just feels like more accepted, where you could be like vulnerable, and um, and especially when it's like a one on one and you're grabbing a beer and you go like yo I have some some stuff that I need to share. You know it's about to get real, and um, and usually it doesn't finish with one beer. So so that's the way that, again, I, I speak for myself, right? Right, maybe, absolutely. Maybe other people, it's different. Maybe people grab tea. Maybe people take walks. But uh, for myself, like, it's it's uh, the best way that uh, that I'm able to express is, is always in that, uh, let's grab a beer. I, I, I really need it. Or let's talk or let's meet at the bar or whatever it's uh for me it feels like a safe space like um yeah in control of course but uh that's that's how i see it you know let's uh let's go to a cottage but it, there's there's always some beers or some liquor involved for some reason and to draw a parallel you know because yeah. <laughs> because we're because we're we're in montreal you know the the same is said about going to take tea shisha yeah cof- exactly coffee, exactly go for a smoke yeah yeah go um, for a smoke go all of these yeah, yeah. culturally mm-hmm. cultural ideas of yeah, how we can true. how we can get together and not necessarily sit in front of each other exactly. like you and i are doing yeah, yeah, with yeah. no beer um <laughs> you know would, would be maybe less less interesting you know but that uh, is a valid point yeah shisha like uh people who smoke to grab a smoke is true yeah it's true so, so that's a, that's an interesting part. And along those those lines, so we're talking about you know your boys are the people that you would go to you know if you had like mm, definitely, definitely frustration, sadness, yeah. uh, anger. Um, and if you had to direct, because this is part of your work, if you had to direct young men if, who needed to blow off steam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're talking about men or boys, you know, in purity before, after, or mm-hmm. whatever. Or, what would you de- what would you do what would be the available tools and suggestions that you would give youth uh, if they had to blow off steam for for me i think i think it differs from client to client um i always take the time to get to know the person in front of me before giving them any sort of advice because i think it's important for them to find the number one thing that i always tell them is what happens what happens when you get angry what happens when you get sad who do you go to and and if they have someone, um, I, I, I push them to, to continue that relationship if it's a proper and sane relationship, right? 
um, if they have a best friend, if if uh, they have a teacher that they could talk to, if if uh, they're in therapy or they're seeking a counselor, um, whichever. But for those that don't find or that don't have an outlet, I, I feel that often my role is, is to help them find one. So sometimes it could be sports, but a lot of times, you know, people are not attracted by sports. Um, some people it's music, some people it's art, some people it's it's uh, anything actually, astrology, like it could be anything. But I feel that it's often my job to, to help them find something that differs from the from their regular day and differs from the norm that they do on an everyday basis, right? So by finding that outlet, it gives you access to, to your emotions. It gives you access to being able to focus on yourself and, and sort of like a self-assessment, right? I'm a big, big fan of music. And when I don't feel like grabbing a beer with my boys or talking to one of my clo close friends, Music is my outlet. It helps me reflect. I listen to all sort of music. And sometimes I indulge in like if I'm sad, I'll, I'll put on sad music because I want to know where that emotion could take me, right? But that was a learning curve because, yeah, you're, you're, often sad, you're often told to not, you know, indulge in these type of emotions. Be tough, be this, be whatever. But then as you grow older, you sort of, you know, you, you teach yourself and you learn with, with education, your environment, your community, sort of how to access these emotions and and then reflect on self-reflect on what makes you sad. So again, get, getting back to the question, um, it's it's really trying to, to help individuals find a proper outlet that could help them sort of embrace that emotion, explain that emotion and take the next step um, on surviving that emotion. And I use the word survive because, you know, so sometimes it's so tough that it stays for a while. So you need to, you know what, switch it to surpass then. You need to surpass that emotion and, and move on to something else. I think you're, the point of surviving emotion is, is something that anybody, any human being has to, has to mm -hmm. overcome, mm -hmm. um, which, is, which is very hard to do. Uh, I really appreciate how much you always come back to the question. You do a nice, <laughs> nice elaboration. I tried, man. I tried. But uh, uh, it shows you actually, you know, you know, <laughs> you're good at what you do because you're able to come back to, you know, the question. But I think that what I wanted to draw from what you said was uh, access to uh, emotion. I think a as young boys, at some at some point, we're told to not access those emotions anymore. Oh, yeah. It's all good to access them at the beginning and then you know depending on you know where we're from it depending on our age uh depending on obviously who who who's uh, who's raising us mm -hmm. we were denied access to these emotions um and we're told well you're not supposed to cry or you're supposed exactly. to keep it inside yep. um and again like it's there's a differentiation in what we're talking about because it's a it's a western perspective of of how men are raised and how boys are, are made and it's much different in the rest of the world in terms of cultural norms taboos and uh and things that have happened generation after generation and i think that's that's the strength of the island is we're in a multicultural multi-religious multi-language setting which allows us to have access to everything that you're saying or have access to the emotions and so your your work what you do as an outreach worker and also with youth protection you see both sides of it you're seeing the social aspects of it 
and you're seeing the the, the more clinical side of it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you're going to start working in a, in a hospital, maybe. Yeah, yeah, hospital so, setting. Yeah. So the, I think your access to everything is very is very interesting, and I think that we can't, you and I can can read and learn a lot about what it is to go through puberty as as a girl, but we'll never experience exactly. what it is. Yeah. But on the other side is experiencing what the onset of testosterone is <laughs> is well something said. is something completely well different yeah. uh, i don't remember personally the onset of testosterone yeah that's not something that just happens but i do remember the amount of food that i was consuming <laughs> and the amount of, of sports that i was playing nice, was nice. out of this world for sure so no one told me by the way you build up this much testosterone mm -hmm. you have to deal with it um, so it's something I, I don't know if you were ever aware of well now I have all this excess testosterone yeah like you said I, I don't think I was aware but now that I look back for sure like the aspect of always being hungry like I'm sure our parents used to tell us that like why are you always hungry but you're just always hungry so uh, yeah but that's that's really well said going back to to sort of like the transition from like child to teen and then to teen to manhood like it's something yeah i think it's something for a for a for a new yorker it's something for a montrealer mm -hmm. it's something for a, a haitian haitian it, boy but he's also on an island by the way yeah so <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying just i love uh, how you keep going back to the to the aspect of the island i'm just saying i'm just saying it's great it's a good name it's a good name oh i'm glad i'm glad you like it <laughs> i really do i really do That was part one with uh, Carl Thomas. Uh, thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for Carl Thomas part two. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me.